Hello. This is the Seeing Stories podcast, a podcast all about stories, mythological, traditional, fictional, societal, all kinds of narratives. And today we're going to be discussing a collective form of narrative poetry that my guest today, John Rowe, calls Captured Moments and Visions. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about John. He's both a master storyteller and a poet. And I think John has worked just about everywhere in schools, detention centres, prisons, festivals. If you've ever been to the Cambridge Folk Festival or Glastonbury, you will probably have seen him there. And you can't mistake John. He has a white, flowing, glorious beard, a top hat, a lovely face, a resplendent, colourful waistcoat and trousers, and usually a cane. And um, he will be organising other storytellers and performing and telling a good tale or two himself. Back in the 60s, John joined up with Graham Fly from the Canterbury band The Wild Flowers, which spawned both Soft Machine and Caravan. And then in the 70s, he toured with Nick Tock in Stereo Graffiti in the 80s and 90s with Sound Proposition, which was a combo of poetry and funk and jazz. Um, But today I particularly wanted to talk to John about this form that he calls Captured Moments and Visions. Um, And it's an unusual form, I think, of poetry, narrative poetry, because it is not just the poet who is reflecting and writing poetry. It's a partnership. It's a partnership between the poet and a community group. And it's where John captures these thoughts, these memories, observations, and transforms them into one collective voice. I am a big fan of this form and I think John has produced some excellent pieces um, with so many different groups. So um, I think it was John who was the first person that I ever saw or heard doing this. Um, You know, it's a form that I think has a real impact. So I want to welcome today Dear John Rowe, are you there, John? I am indeed, Maria, and thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, well, it's it's great to have you. The whole thing, this wasn't actually my idea. I was I had a ride, writing residency at Downham Market Library uh, yeah. back in the uh, back 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 in the early two thousands when I was actually it was during my first uh, prison residency at Wayland. And uh, the the person that got me at residency was a wonderful literature officer. Remember when counties had literature officers? Uh, yes. There's a they're called Magdalene Russell, and she was a she was a live wire. Uh, she she not only got the whole the first storytelling residency in prison going, which was at Wayland, which was me, um, but she she got this thing going in the libraries and. She wanted, uh, she wants, she had this idea of collecting voices and she called it text collecting. And I, it's, it's kind of what I use 
Um, but I like, I, I, I did the visions thing for you and I, I quite like it as a title. It's less dry than text collecting. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so the first one was just going around Diner Market and collecting, uh, collecting memories. Uh, so what happened, John, when you went to the market? Well, it wasn't. How a, did you do it? It wasn't a market as such. That that was the name of the town. So, um, uh-huh. I just talked to people in libraries and pubs, and just uh, I, I put up a flip chart on, on. Actually, it was the market square. I put up a flip chart, and I I just stopped people, um, and I did one round. I did, I did a bit round yours, I think, and uh, but we I did a lot round Litchfield and for the youth service there, and um, yeah, you did, and then. Uh, and, and it's kind of expanded from there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, my my favourite one recently was uh, with uh, with Friction Arts in Birmingham, and they've been running a project on the uh, on the boot sale at Digbeth, um, which is one of the oldest markets in the in Europe. Um, sadly, no longer with us because it's city centre and it's being redeveloped. Um, so and. I, I was trying to get those market voices and memories. I mean, there was fantastic things. So uh, there's a, I mean, I, I love this bit. It's, uh, it, uh, I, I called it ruminating on the market. Now, I put in some of the shouts as well. Two pounds for your Kelvin Kleine. The way I look at it, mm. they're going to make millions mm. turning this into flat. There's a good family here. They're rogues, but we have a laugh. You know what we ought to do is get up a petition and get all the customers and stallholders signed it. One pound, one pound. No, they're two pounds. I just got back from India, saw the family. I had to give them loads of money. Come on, come on. Very cheap. Come on. I sold a piece of old wood to, an, to a man for 20 pounds. He didn't argue. just gave me the money. I don't know what he wanted it for. We're from Romania, near Moldavia. 50 pence here to clean it up. I've been here 23 years. There used to be days when I'd bring in three mans and clear out. I got 5G large for one day's craft. This was my spot. I'd empty three vans on the floor, everything 50p or three for a pound. You could make a grand on shit. That, that when, when, when the early entrance came in, I'd put two pallets of pop on the floor. They'd be gone in minutes. I was the youngest trader here. I've been coming since I've been four. Now the council keep putting up the rents. They're ripping us off, man. It's run like it's run like a boot sale. They charge market prices for the pitches. I remember the old markets in Birmingham. Rats everywhere. I worked when I worked on the sites. You could walk into a pub and get a job anywhere. Then I worked on the railway. It was a complete doss house compared to the builder's site. I was at Snow Snow Hill when Beeching closed it, and when it opened again, the Bell Street Market was over there. It had its roof blown off during the war. I've been coming here since it opened twenty years ago. I've got a carrier for me bike here today. At the moment, I tie stuff in my handlebars. I swerve all over the place. I remember buying a box of watches for four or five quid. There was a tuning fork watch there invented by Mark Hazel. They took one to the moon. I'll, I'll leave it to the children's hospital when I die. It's worth about £400. You can find anything in rubbish. <sighs> that is fantastic. And you know what comes across, John, is you have this plurality of voices and yet you can't, you make it into what? one voice what and the atmosphere that you capture there is phenomenal there was something i wanted to say to you actually about your collecting is that 
I've seen you do this work, right? And you have particular qualities um, in doing it. It's like people trust you very quickly. You described earlier that, you know, you, you had this, like, what was it, a big piece of paper um, initially and you were getting people's thoughts. But I'm just wondering, how do you get people's trust so quickly and how do you get them tuned into those very specific memories? What do you do? I just go around and talk to people. And yeah. I think the thing is, is, is I'm interested. You know, I mean, yes. ever since I was a kid, I've been interested. I, I mean, my dad was in the Navy, only came home occasionally. So, and I was always, you know, listening to his stories. But but we used to get, you know, because uh, my mum was there by herself with the kids, it was the, so, our house was the social, our house was the social place where everyone came back to afterwards. And I'd listen to these guys talk and I'd just sit on the floor, you know, and and, mm. and old boys lo love to talk to children, you know, love to share mm. their experiences. And I that used to put a tingle down my back. And I think it was, you know, and I think that's that's kind of the 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 base of it. And also I realised that, you know, that, that sometimes um, I this is slightly off off the mark, but um Earlier, I, I wanted to write a, a time a book on time travel for a time traveller, um, and I dressed up as a medieval peddler. I thought I'll live it out, and I dressed up as a medieval peddler and walked around um, East Anglia, and just so I could get the feel. I never wrote the book. I became a storyteller because I learned some stories from it. Uh, but what I realised on that walk was people like to talk. People like to say hello, even if. It's uh, it's an insult. So people are shouting insult at, at you because it's very British, you know, and uh, uh, quite a friendly one. But, you know, they're just to be taking the mick. And mm. uh, and if you came back not offended, but, you know, you you came back and uh, uh, talked to them, you know, you'd find out all lovely. I mean, there was a road worker I was talking to and. Uh, and that it, it said something, you know, he just shouted something. And then I told, and then they asked what you're doing. I said, I'm writing a book. And he said, is it going to be in Braille? I've got a blind child. Uh, so you, you get, you set up very quickly within two sentences, some kind of rapport. But yeah. the other thing when you're doing, it's not just about you in the, um, it, it, when you're, um, when you're collecting, you set up a dialogue where people talk to each other. So people hear what each other are saying. And it can yes. set up in, 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 in Birmingham. I did another project um, uh, called Your Streets, Your Voices. Um, and, uh, and it almost turned into like community debates on the pavement. Um, and also people would hear, people who didn't normally speak to each other would hear what each other was saying. I, re I remember near the Twin Towers pub, there was the kid with all these closed down shops. There was the kids on their BMXs, and 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 there was the cider drinkers on on the pavement around the corner. Mm. And the kids were always giving the cider drinkers hard time. When I asked the cider drinkers, because you ask everybody, um, you know, and you put whatever they say down as long as it's you know not racist or the, or the usual stuff. Um, and uh, the cider drinkers, I said, you know, and I was doing visions then for the future. I said, what, well, you know, if you were, if you ruled here, if you, if you were the king or queen, what, what would be the first thing you did? And the guy said, all these cider drinkers complete, you know, and looked like they were completely up. He said, 
oh, we build more youth, we build more youth centres and we need stuff for the youth. And the kids on the BMX heard them say that and it instantly changed the relationship between those people. You know, and, uh, but yes. you put it down. But the thing, the people have got to see that you put down whatever whatever you put down. You don't censor apart from the obvious. So um, in that project, someone said, uh, what would be the first thing you do? And someone said, oh, I'll cut down all the trees in the park. I'll get too many flies in my kitchen. So you put that down. And by the very fact you've written that down, even yeah. though it might be against everything you think, people see yeah. that, that that they trust. And and when I did it in Litchfield with the kid, you know, with with groups of young people, you know, they, you'd ask them what, and the first thing they'd say, "Oh, well, build a brothel." And you might write it down, but that get you further and further and further in. Um, and it, you know, with young people, it's a different thing. You've got to, you know. You've got to sort of try not to be shocked, and as long as, long as it's within the usual rules, you know, you you just uh, you just put it down, and when they see you're not censoring them, then they say what's really below the surface, and that's interesting, John. And, that's really fascinating. And yeah. and and the and in, in I did I've done it in prisons. I've sort of stood on a wing on the prison, and uh, the the question I asked was uh, was what what didn't you get at school that you could have done? Where did the school let you down? Um, didn't say let down. It was because they had to be open questions. Yes. Um, and uh, they were, they, I got all sorts of answers like, well, they needed to kick me out when I was seven years old. Um, someone else would say, actually, it was my fault. I was, sent, uh, you know, my parents sent me to a good school. I just didn't take. And then I was on mm. the wing and one guy, so I'd been getting all this stuff, you know, which was, so everyone sort of had a common experience with it. And then this guy said, well, I'm from Somalia and there was a civil war. And my dad got killed. And my sister got killed. And I got a bullet in the stomach. I couldn't see any point in going to school after that. Wow. And, you know, there was a silence afterwards, obviously. But yes. it just, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get that uh, that you know, and that says that's that's a book, isn't it? Um, yeah. In what in two lines? That's the thing. It, it's that they're you know they're they're very powerful these two lines. Well, you know, John, you talked a, a bit earlier about that. You know, dressing up and uh, being a time traveller. In a way, with this work, you do travel through time and through other geographical lo locations through the conversations that you have with people um, and you take us to different worlds and somehow you bring all of that material together. I mean, it was James who's our um, techie, our technician, and he's so great helping me with these podcasts. James, when I was talking to him about this work that you do, and I've done some of it too, but he suggested that it's a bit like a mosaic and that you as the artist are piecing together all these little jewels of voices and bringing them together in one work of art. Is that how you see see your job in this or your role in this as the poet? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's about, you know, you're kind of like a channel um, and, and it's, it's, it's almost trying to get rid of the seams. Um, yes. Originally, when I did it, I used to put, I remember, and, uh, and it would be, you know, repeated words through, which gave the rhythm. 
Um, but yeah. then I realised that all that what that does it splits up the voices, and so uh, well I tried other ways with the market one I put the shouts in in between, um, but then then I I kind of got rid of it all in a lot of ways altogether, um, and some of the things are kind of um, uh, a combination of my memories and other people's so it's there's a thousand ways of collaboration I d i've been doing a project in romania and uh, i've got yeah. a house there and uh, i've had it in my head since the changes in 1990 that eastern europe must be full of folk tales that were never written down i mean there were an awful mm. lot written down in romania actually but um but i thought i'd interview some of the old people because what happened in uh, in 1990, my wife met, some, brought some a uh, couple of women on uh, management courses from she'd been staying with in in the Czech Republic in Brunei, and they came and stayed stayed with us over here. And I thought, and I was, you know, you always go and ask people if they got stories, and they gave me two. They lived, they'd grown up on villages either side of a valley, and they had two different versions of the same story. Well, of course, now it's sort of 30 odd years later, it's about 30 years later. And of course, everything's changed. But in my head, I still had this, I've had this project going in my head. But when I went to interview people, I got, I got memories with uh, mythical figures in, or with, uh, you know, uh, locali, um, and, uh, that it woven into it, so I've I've built up this um this sort of combination, and this is an everyman one. If we've got a couple of minutes, so. oh please, yeah, I'd love to hear this one. So this um this is set in uh up near a a, a lake which was only built in the seventies, but I've got a house net up there, and there's a forest, and uh, um and 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 this is actually a combination of three or four people of uh, one 82-year-old guy, uh, one in one guy probably in his late 60s, 70s, and so, uh, young, young guys in their 30s. But it's like, so that it's all woven together. So before the lake, before the road, before we had to open the windows to stop them shattering when they fired those cannons left over from the days of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the Russians who looted all the food and livestock from the village, mined the road and the people took shelter in the forest. We worked for the SAS. SAS is like a squire, it's an old German word. We were 12 years old, went to school for four hours a week. Our parents had hired us out for a year and we lived in a long wooden cabin, all us boys, and we had the power of prophecy. He tried to tell the sass no good would come from making us work on festival days, especially those dedicated to St. Elia, who creates storm and rains down fire on those who displease him. The boy with the power told the sass if he forced them to work on a holiday, there would be a great storm and worse, but the sass was German and knew nothing of such things. Meanwhile, one of the old workers called on the saint to bring down fire on the sasses three hayricks. No sooner had he uttered the words when dark clouds gathered above them and a bolt of lightning set fire to the first hayrick. Still the sass forced them to work until another bolt of lightning lit up the sky and the second hayrick burst into flames. Only then did the sass give in and grant them their holiday. 
As for the boy with the power to predict the future, he was given special treatment and lived well on the farm. Later in life, he predicted the coming of the lake when he saw a pond full of frogs and the coming of tractors pulling trees from the forest when he talked of carts being pulled by chariots of fire. At 15, I worked in the forest. There were no chainsaws back then, just long two-handled saws, one of us lad on each end. If we were lucky, we'd be working near a pool near the roots of a huge tree in the Zinnalaw. Beautiful fairies would come over, come to the pool to swim. They'd sing the most beautiful songs and take off all their clothes to bathe. Us lads would hide behind the trees and watch them in wonder. Sometimes we'd take their clothes and they'd cry. That was in the daylight. Nighttime was a different matter. We'd all sleep in the middle of the forest in a big hut made of moss and branches with tree bark for a roof. We were warned if Mumma Paduriga spoke to us, we must not answer or she would steal our voices. One night we heard her calling. No one answered. I heard the door open. I was terrified. I'd heard stories of the hag all my life. I kept my eyes tight shut as she moved from bunk to bunk. I felt a tag tug at my feet. Still, no one spoke or even stirred. After what seemed to be an age, I heard the door open and close. Outside, there was a blood-curling stream, and she was gone. The forest gave us everything. Almost. My goodness, my goodness, that is so beautiful, so rich in imagery. It's visceral, you know, as I was listening to you. I mean, I wonder, John, how much of, well, two things, actually, I want to ask you. One is that, um, the, you know, the voices, the real voices, the real um, stories that those young people had um, are so beautifully described. Um and what I think you do is you respect um, what is actually coming out of people's mouths and you put, put it down and you show us that um, there is a great richness in you know, everybody's way of speaking. Yeah. That was um, kind of strange because that was, I recorded that in Romanian. I did it, I had it on voice recorder. Right. And then I got someone to translate it and I was writing it down right. as they were translating. Wow. Um, so it's gone through a kind of process and, you know, and, and, and the process is, I suppose the, you know, the challenge is respecting that initial voice. Yes, Yes, and I want this is what I wanted to ask you about. How much do you become the sieve or the filter? How much do you edit out and how much do you keep in? Because you when you it, you know, it this sounds like when you hear this, it just sounds so um flowing. It feels like it, it's easy. But how much do you actually snip bits off and smooth round edges? Well, do, you do a little. Like, if you've ever, if you've ever tried to write a book of story of traditional stories, uh, ones yeah. that you tell, you yeah. write it that initially you write it down as you tell it, mm -hmm. and then it doesn't quite sit on the page. Um, yes, and so. But it doesn't take much. It's little words like as, is, that, and so forth. That, that to, to just, um, because we're, when we're speaking, when we're, we're changing tenses all the time. We don't faff about worrying about, you know, especially in English. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so, and it's just getting that to, uh, it's just making it work. You take as much as you can, I suppose, um, you know, 
if you were recording, it's uh, you you might you might leave you, if you were recording musician for the sake of authenticity, you might leave you might keep in the squeak as he runs his finger down the the fretboard. But you you take out the, the where the cup where someone dropped a cup of saucer in the background, uh, and I, I think mm. I, 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 maybe maybe it's that I, it's not sure I've never you know I kind of and then I'm getting to the point now where I'm sort of mixing autobiography and what and other people's stories so you become uh, not become part of the story you don't alter theirs but you take you take things um, so. Uh, uh there's uh, i've got a poem called veterans again i won't read the whole thing because it would take us all day um could you give us a, a, a short snippet yeah i'll give it, it give it a short yeah, snippet. Great. snippet if um yeah i i have it here i thought i'd take it out ready for this broadcast but uh it's <laughs> um i what what i tried to get here i started with me i'll leave out yeah. that bit um and uh, then i veterans is the first one but i try and then i brought in i gradually brought in members of my family um mm. my cousins who was a soldier and uh and my and my other my or my cousin's boy was a soldier my cousin who was a fireman my dad who was in the navy and then i I, I I moved to I moved it out of the personal. Meanwhile, I listened to stories from those who carry images inside their head of broken bodies and fallen comrades, and places where it's impossible to tell who the enemy was from those who could bear it no longer because they could not differentiate between those who gave the orders and those they were ordered to kill. I sat in a room in Dresden as a Lebanese man from a village that had been shelled from the sheet sea, thanked my friend who had been in the Air Force at the time for a line in a poem recording the incident. I didn't think anyone noticed, he said. In the Middle East, I talked to a man who had lost a brother in a civil war across the border, who spoke with a fatalism, seeing no end to the conflict. When we asked him what he thought would happen, asked me in a year, he said. After the Falklands, I met men in prison who could not survive outside the ordered life of the army, and men who grew their hair and went on the road, because not because they were homeless, but because they needed to breathe the sweet air of freedom. And one who, after a life of defusing bombs, was defused himself with antidepressants and sedatives. And a Kurdish violinist from the Baghdad Orchestra who sat and rehearsed in his town square as Iranian aircraft dropped bombs around him, killing all his friends, who wrote songs so children could recognise lion mines, who cooked for the Americans, who ran a charity until the day he was told to poison them, who ran away to stop himself becoming a killer and survived all but broke as he travelled six days in a wooden box in the ship's hold before being abandoned to Dover, in Dover, to a life of an asylum seeker, and one who did not break, but escaped from police custody in the Sudan, because he noticed those who went in never came out, all folks surviving the extremes, almost, while most of us simply slept. So what I John, did... Sorry. Yeah, yeah you, you carry on, carry on. No, what I did there was, I, 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 these are all stories I've held in my head to people I've spoken to over the years. Um... The, the thing about I walk around a lot in costume, as you described at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. and people, what that does is people come up and speak to you, and because yes. uh, it's like a license, you're, you know, it's like a license to talk um, for other people to talk to you. So you become a vessel almost. So uh, the 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 guy who who uh, who who 
who who left the left the army was in special force in America was a biker I met in Texas, and uh, um, the the Kurdish violinist was a guy I, I was working with. There's 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 loads of characters in there, but what I was trying to get was take these scraps of story and get a universality uh, uh, yes. to it. Yeah, and so do you think that well, you know, there is a polit political element to your writing what do you think of that well uh, there's, there's sometimes <laughs> there's quite an open political uh, <laughs> element but I, th I think the process it, the process itself is political with a small p because yes. they're people that whose voice they've got voices you know when you know we we, we in the arts say, oh we gave people a voice no you didn't they've already had it um yes but uh you know but they're not listened to and mm -hmm. it's yeah. a way in some ways of getting those voices listened to getting those stories heard so when we did the birmingham project use your streets your voices um was uh and again very little of these are my ideas i sort of just go and do it um and uh that the um they, uh, we got we produced a little booklet, and it had all all the stuff that everyone has said in there. And this councillor got hold of it and said, "I just spent thirty five thousand pounds on a on some kind of survey. And it doesn't tell me half as much as this." And one mm -hmm. of the things that came up in all, wherever it was was they needed more people wanted parks, and yeah. as a result, I'm not saying as a result of the you know they didn't take our pamphlet as proof. But it started the process, and there was a new park built at the end. So it is, um, you know, getting heard and getting that, you know, getting the nitty gritty of what people want is, uh, you know, can become change, can't it? Because when um, a group of people um, speak and the whole piece is put together articulately, you can see what is required, what is needed. John, I, I did a, um, a similar thing on, I've done lots of these projects, but one that just jumped into my head was, I was asked to work on a maternity ward in a hospital, it was in Stoke-on-Trent, because the hospital was about to change and they wanted um, a different design. I worked with these poor women who'd been on this ward for months during their pregnancy, staring at wallpaper that looked like prison bars. And in fact, one woman I was working with actually went into labour as I was talking to her. But what they told me about and what they actually wanted created change, informed the new design for the new hospital. In that way, these kind of works that you do can make change, can change people's views, I think. I mean, that the, the one that you um, spoke to us earlier, the, the one that's, you know, it's about conflict, it's about war, what it does to people is so powerful. I have to say to you, John Rowe, that there is something about your special ability to listen to people and your your personality is such that you know I think most people not everyone's got this you know they want to talk to you and they trust you actually with some very um well sometimes secret um thoughts and memories do you ever John think to yourself 
on that note, you know, someone may tell you something a bit like a confessional. I can't use that because it might be um, a little bit too dangerous. Do you ever think well, that? Uh, not exactly. But uh, but you, there are things you've got, especially when you're working with young people. Um, yeah. uh, I was on the street project in uh, in in South End on Sea, and we we were there was a clock in the middle of the where the kids gathered round called the Millennium Clock. So and it was very Essex. So we 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 put a street magazine together called Clock in It, and uh, the um, and so people would bring us you know. Uh, bring us up pieces of, of writing and this girl brought us up and it, it was written in the third person so it was about someone else but uh and it was about stranger danger um and she was saying usually it's people you know and there were two two stories of rape in it and mm. i you know it went in because it was third person it was anonymous it went in the paper mm. but i also went to a youth worker and said, yeah. look, this has been shared with me. And I think there's child protection issues there that you have to, you know, it's, yes. um, uh, but uh, and I mean, the other one from that project, which you would love was uh, the, the local uh, prospective MP who happened to be from a particularly pinstripe party um, who, uh, <laughs> who, 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 who had said, said in parliament that, uh, that the, uh, it was a candidate that, that, that the, police support you know community support officers were a waste of money you see so and we worked a lot with them on the project so they and they invited the the prospective candidate down to see what they actually did in the street well it happened to be that we were launching the sort of glossy version of clocking it because we'd be given a, an empty shop to work in and uh, there was a so and we thought we'd take this opportunity and we'd all be down there and the press was there and everything else and uh, this guy was there and he had his pet, um, not dog, um, what is it? Your assistant. Yeah, that was it. Hot cold in his briefcase. And uh, suddenly this kid comes running through the crowd, baseball cap, hoodie, and just ran up and thrust a piece of, and you know, the look of horror on these two guys' faces. You know, it was mm. everything, you know, everything that appalled them. And suddenly this kid shoved this piece of paper in my hand and went, here, geese, I've got a poem for you. No. And, yeah. uh, you know, and so so it goes beyond, you know, what it does, it starts stuff off. You know, I mean, we produced from that project, we produced the big book so people could actually write themselves. We, I took a gardening cart and put an A-board on it and people wrote on uh, and, and drew on all these pieces of paper, all, all their thoughts and everything else. And then we took those and turned them into a huge collage, making this huge sort of, four by four bulk and then we we took it and miniaturized it and so gave it get put them in plastic bags and gave all the kids with a magnifying glass <laughs> Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. so you know they can lead to all sorts of projects um and collaborate collaborations you know i i love working with other artists and i think yeah. you know i think those people i talk to on the street are other artists you know it's not uh yes yeah you know. yeah John, we're coming towards the end now, but I want to thank you so much, not only for doing this kind of work, um, but for coming 
today and, and speaking to us and letting people know about this work. I'm also going to put in a request that you turn this into a book, this particular form. I'll, I'll, Collect all those bits together, please. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll do this. And I'm, I mean, the other, you know, during the lockdown, I suppose the thing that's, um, you know, I, in, I'm extending it, you know, in so much as I'm talking to people all over the world while I'm curating the World Storybook Storytelling Cafe. Yeah. So, and, and that's something for everyone who's listening to this podcast should um, log on to the World Storytelling Cafe, which you have been running since the opening, haven't you, of that? I've been curating right it. Yeah. You've been, yes, yes. You know, it's strange this language we have to use now, isn't it? Because it's all being done virtually. It's really worth checking out. So many wonderful stories storytellers um and you know i'm sure john that on another occasion we'll be back together having a conversation perhaps about storytelling but for today thanks so much and thank you and i will write the book i found i found loads of stuff after last week since we first talked about it <laughs> Well, John, I'm going to buy it. Um, and, and I also just want to say thanks to James Langley for helping us today, not only with the idea of the mosaic, but for the technology. Thanks so much, James Langley. John Rowe, cheers. Thanks Thank you, so much. Maria. Thank you.